neutral corner. In the neutral corner. In the neutral corner. In the neutral corner. Welcome. You're in the neutral corner. I kind of wanted to do this episode with not having a whole lot of local news. Uh, SD Dumas is making his UFC debut this weekend against a late notice replacement fighter. Uh, I'm going to kind of wait. I've already kind of previewed that a few episodes back, so I'm going to kind of wait to uh, review that on Sunday. Um, after the fight's already been over. Uh, but actually, this episode, I feel like I'm going to do story time for you guys. And I'm going to give a little bit of an insight to me and who I am in my career. And just do a little kind of kind of story about my little MMA four-year. And uh, go from there, you know. And if you guys like it, I have plenty of more stories. And if you don't... You know, it's okay. There will be plenty of other episodes for you guys to like. Um, when I was 18... Well, we'll go back further than that. <clears throat> when I was a young man, I, I grew up in a really rough household. A really rough upbringing. There was a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, and a lot of violence. And from an early age, I had the outlet of pro wrestling. And I would kind of ignore the things going on in the house or the lack thereof that we had in the house. And I would get lost in this pro wrestling world, this escape of big men, you know, big muscular men who can take care of themselves, you know, who can fight back against their abuser, who can, who, you know, can take their own destiny in their hands. It was so like intriguing to me and looking back on it now I feel like there was just a bunch of guys like uh you know for me it was like guys like Eddie Guerrero and Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker guys who even though it's you know all choreographed and even though it's all you know predetermined and it's a soap opera it's no different than relating to it's no different than someone relating to a movie character and, and and things like that it's just a it's just a very homoerotic you know soap opera if we're being completely honest it's not why i watched it but come on you got bodybuilders rubbing each other with baby oil it's not it, you know but anyway and in my life it was like there was there was a positive male role model for once and someone there that you know, I could watch every week, tune in and watch him overcome the odds and teach, you know, uh, basic things, you know, don't betray your friends, you know, take care of the ones you love and stuff like that. It's usually the guys that I gravitated towards. Well, that turned into a love for fighting in general. And then when I was a, growing up, I would fight local kids in the neighborhoods all of us would. It wasn't just like me going to pick up fights. All of us would get together and we'd, you know, just like we're like 11, 12 years old. Sometimes, well, it might have been when we were 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. We were just unsupervised, roaming around the neighborhoods, running through the woods. And then we'd find, you know, we'd find a good little spot in a field or behind someone's house or in someone's backyard and their parents weren't home. And we would just all fight. 
And luckily, none of us were super powerful. You know, we were kids, so no one was ever really hurt. You know, yeah, we got lumps on our head and bruises, but we never were, like, busted open. I mean, it's amazing what you don't think about when you're a kid. Like, now I would never go out and just spar a grown man bare knuckle out in the middle of the road because of the risks of just getting a cut that's just going to delay everything. But as a kid, didn't even think about it. So when I was 11, my parents by then had split up. And I was supposed to do this 50-50 custody thing with them, but my dad went on a bender and was gone for like years. Didn't hear from him, didn't talk to him, nothing. Like a year, maybe a little longer. And my mom had the weight of the world on her shoulders and took it out on me being the oldest. And so when I was 11, I finally was like, I'm, I'm, I don't want to live here, I'm out of here. It's too much, too abuse, too, too much abuse, too much of everything. And I left and I went and moved in with my grandfather or my grandmother first for a couple of months, then my grandfather for about a year, then my aunt and uncle. And all this time I'm into pro wrestling, but my pro wrestling, now I'm hitting puberty. And now I'm starting to realize the, you know, how choreographed wrestling is. And as a young man, you don't relate. Oh, this is just like watching a movie. You don't relate that. You want to, you, you're still relating it to a sporting event. And now I'm a young man getting into sports in high school and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, this, you know, I want real things. And then I started watching MMA. And then I started watching uh, the UFC in particular. And then the perfect timing for me was right around the time I started watching it, Brock Lesnar, who I had watched growing up, made his his little uh, transition to MMA. He dipped his toes into the UFC uh, monster machine, you know? And that was just like, oh, cool, I know this guy. I can get behind this guy. Like, I know him. I've heard his, him talk. Like, I've heard his personality, at least what they scripted for him. So I had this idea of, like, who he was, and at least it was somebody I knew. I didn't just go watch the UFC and not know anybody. And then, uh, so I started watching then. I think that was in, like, 2007. So I was, like, right around 7th, 8th grade. And it was really cool because it was real. So my so from from seventh to eighth grade ish, so that was about eleven twelve ish. That's when I started wanting to do the fighting thing. And now because I live with my grandmother, and then I went and lived with my grandfather, and then I went and lived with my aunt and uncle, who all were significantly more high class than my parents. And when I say significantly high class, and my parents it still were very middle class, if not lower middle class. But my parents were just I mean, dirt people. I mean, I'm not even trying to be mean. It's just how it is. It's just how it is. It's how I lived for 11 years of my life. It was dirt. It was awful. And so I didn't get into this neighborhood shenanigans, these ruffians, these things like that where I was fighting and stuff. And they, were, you know, they weren't really too keen on me watching it and or doing it. Well, as teenagers get rebellious as they grow up, and especially coming from a home like I did, I was not happy where I was when I was 17. When I was 17, I was living with my aunt and uncle, and looking back, you know, they were just trying to do the best that they could. 
with, you know, a kid that's not theirs, you know, with my aunt's brother's kid, you know, and they were trying to do the best that they could to steer me away from being just like my dad. And I respect them for that. But at 17, your hormones are going crazy. I don't, I didn't understand why they were treating me a certain way based on someone else, but I get it now to an extent. However, once I was 17, I moved in with my girlfriend at the time, her parents. And when I turned 18, I told everybody, I'm going to try to do MMA. I want to do it. And when I had been in high school, I had talked to a bunch of people and there was a local, you know, there was a local gym. Everybody knew them. Kids from the school, Martin and Cody and Emily Downs were all, you know, going there. Or, or that's what they did. You know, that was their family. That's what they did. And everybody knew who they were in the school. And even though we had maybe never talked and weren't friends, everybody knew who they were. So therefore, I was able to uh, kind of like talk to people and get kind of an idea or whatever. When I had no idea where else to go. So I went there. And at first, my whole goal was I'm going to graduate high school. I'm going to join the Navy and, uh, you know, go about my life and see where this takes me. And I joined the gym because when I graduated high school, I was 257 pounds because I was an offensive lineman. And uh, the Navy was like, yo, bro, we need you to lose a lot of weight. So I joined the MMA thing in the boxing club and, and I joined AMA or Pensacola Boxing Academy. I joined them in order to start to lose the weight so I could go to... Uh, so I could go to boot camp. So I go to MEPS, get my job, get my take my ASVAB, do all that stuff, and which I ended up taking my ASVAB, and I scored pretty high on the ASVAB. I mean, not super high. Little, I mean, I think I scored a seventy something, somewhere in the se upper seventies. So not super high, but you know, I'm whatever. So I was excited, and I wanted to do it, but at some point. The recruiter and myself lost contact and when I'd go by the recruiting office they weren't there and then the more I started to think about it and the more I trained the more I fell in love with fighting and the more I wanted to just stay home and you know I, may, I had married my girlfriend which may have been the reason they stopped talking to me or whatever but pretty much it just the flame burned out I never I I think one time the recruiter contacted me and said hey I was just wondering if you were still interested and at that point, I was just like, no, I'm not. And then that's when I decided, all right, well, I'm just going to do this. I, something clicked in my brain. And I did. I gave the effort that I should have given football when I was in high school to MMA and to fighting and to boxing and to all that. that, that it hit me. It clicked. And the effort that I gave was outstanding. That's how... I was able to improve so quickly. So then what happens is, is I go to AMA and back then it was this big warehouse on dog track road. It's a brown helicopter now, but big warehouse. And Larry used to have 30, 30 card or 30 fight cards in there. It was a really cool spot. And 
one of the coolest things about it was it was a big open floor plan, big open warehouse. <coughs> and you had your boxing section, you had your MMA and grappling section, and the ring was dead center in the middle. And you could see everybody, everybody could see everybody. It was really cool. And I went in there and a friend of mine who is fighting now, and he took some time off, I believe, and got his shit straight, and then he went back to fighting, and he's doing excellent. A friend of mine that I went to high school, I played football with, I weightlifted with, his name was Andy Santiago. Dude is one of the coolest people I've ever met. And uh, he talked me into coming over there, and he told me the lowdown. Hey, listen, this coach that you're going to go meet, all about respect, you know, like, um, make sure you do this, make sure you mind your P's and Q's, yes, sir, no, sir, don't just leave, you know, talk to him before you leave, you know, all that thing. And I took his advice. Well, Andy ended up having to move to Tallahassee. And so I was stuck there with nobody that I knew. And I just tried to become a member of the team. And back then, they were like a little more closed off, closed knit, right? You had to really come in and prove yourself. If you're, you know, when I came in, I was just some fat 18-year-old talking about how I wanted to fight, which as I have grown up in this game and gotten skin in this game over the last 11 years I know exactly what they were thinking when I came in there like okay whatever because I've heard it a million times since then so I come in you know I explain to them what I'm wanting to do and they're like yeah well you just keep you know we'll do this so I fell in love with grappling and I wanted to grapple. I did not want to get punched in the face. Because like I said, I remember those days back when I was fighting in the backyard or fighting over there in the, uh, in the field next to the house. I, that fucking hurt, man. And so I, did, I really didn't want to get punched in the face. I had gotten into a, quite a few fights in high school as well. And luckily all of them, I, I was able to... Um, I was, and luckily in all those, I was either able to strike first... Or it was broken up before I was really ever punched in my face. Now, I knew being punched in the face wouldn't break me. I just didn't want to get punched in the face. I mean, who naturally, who does? Your face is the first thing you protect most of the time. Unless you're a man, then you might protect your nuts first. That's just nature. Can't help that. But, so anyways, I, I stuck to it. Everybody thought I was going to quit. I stuck to it. I went out, had no job, so I saved every bit of money that I could doing every little thing I could. And I went out and I bought everything of a piece of equipment they told me to buy. And I came back and I was there every day, every day, every day, every day. Well, then one day, a couple months goes by, two, three months. And this guy that had been trained in there, Michael Roberts, he was uh, making his pro debut. And I remember my coach, Todd Leiterman, which was the grappling coach. I remember, you know, him, them all working together. There was Brian Smith was there. Chris Barron was there. Andre Hall was there. None of you guys may know their names, but they hold weight in the early stages of Pensacola MMA. Like, they are, they are all, you know, they are all our Hoist Gracie, Dan Severn, Ken Shamrock, right? Obviously not on that same level, but for, for Pensacola, that's who those guys are. 
you know, amongst others, uh, these are just the people at my gym. There were other gyms where guys were, you know, like the Klecklers and the and the Rances and the Ryo Stouses and all, you know, th those types of guys, Brandon Jenkins. So, anywho, me, Mike Roberts, well, not me, I was new. Mike Roberts, Brian Smith, Chris Barron, Andre Hall. Um, there was a few other names. Training Mike to do his thing. And, and he was fighting his pro debut. Listen to me. His pro debut against a guy that I'm pretty sure was 14-0 at the time. Okay. 14-0 and this guy is going to fight a debut guy in pro MMA. So he has his fight in Biloxi. And he goes in there and he beats this guy. He has this guy's first loss. And it was the guy's only loss until the guy got into the UFC and became pretty much a, a pretty decent you know, star when he was in there. Jason Knight. Now, I don't know if that name rings a bell to anybody. But Mike Roberts on his pro debut went in there and beat Jason Knight. And he didn't get a quick oopsie daisies, I dropped my hand knockout in the first round. Or a oops, I wasn't expecting you to know this submission. No, he he beat the guy three round decision. All three rounds. All three judges. 30-27. That is amazing. That's fucking awesome. So anyways, he goes over there. He does that. And the team's all happy and stuff. Well, well, there's a falling out at the gym. And they leave. Everybody. And I haven't even met Larry at this point. Other than one time to tell him, hey, yeah, I'm going to, uh, he asked me to fight. And I'd only been training like a month. And I was like, no. Because all those guys over there were telling me, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. So, I um, I get I get to the gym and no one's there after the fight. And I come in for maybe, it may have been about three weeks. Maybe, maybe two and a half, three weeks. Nobody's there. And all I'm doing is I'm shrimping. I'm bridging, I'm practicing kicks on the bag, you know, I haven't even really been taught how to punch, so I'm like punching a little bit on the bag, uh, and it's just, it's just a, you know, comical, and Larry comes up to, so now, now Larry comes up to me, and at this point, I had been training right around four months or so. And Larry says, RJ, he says, uh, or he says, hey, you want to fight, you want to fight um, September? And, well, the guys hadn't been there in three weeks. And so I was like, sure, let's do it. And Larry's like, perfect. He says, you know what? I'll tell you what, do you work? And I was like, no. And he's like, well, be at my house at, uh, at uh, 930 at, you know, whatever day. And he gave me his address. So I drive over to his house. There's a whole funny-ass story about the first time I drove over to his house, but I'm not going to talk about it now. We'll talk about it later. And I get to his house, and he starts training me in his home gym. Fucking uh, everything I said about the other gym and how amazing it was, 
this one was even better. It wasn't as big. It was so close, tight-knit, super, like, a uh, small space. And when I say a small a small space, it was like a fucking four- to five-car garage. You know, like, it wasn't, you know, it was built for a gym, but it was about as big as a five-car garage or so. Like, a, it was a nice space, but there was a ring. Everything was perfectly spaced out. I mean, it was it was so just like, man, this looks like a gym from the movies. And so I'm like starstruck. So then me and Larry start working out and he starts basically giving me private lessons. And we just clicked. Something about him and I just clicked. And of course, myself, my whole life had been looking for a father figure. And I'm pretty sure, and that's what Larry became to me, was just a great father figure. And from there... I started fighting. So I had my first fight and I won by submission. And then I'm in the gym training one day and Larry comes in there and asks, hey, would you like to fight that giant that fought the same night you did? Didn't have a name, nothing. I was like, sure. And that was it. And then we trained and that turned out to be Dakota Merritt. Well, I lost that fight by decision. Okay. It was my second MMA fight. So then my third one, I won that fight. Then my fourth, I won. Then my fifth, I won. Or maybe it was my fifth I lost to Kim Odie. Um, which is another name that y'all might or might not know. I lost to him by decision. And then after that, you know, just mine and Larry's relationship was getting better. Mine and Todd's relationship was getting better. I was training every single day. I was training my ass off. And now we're talking, it's been a couple of years. And now I go on like a six fight, just first round finish, first round finish, first round finish against tough guys. Against guys that are going three-round wars with other tough guys, you know. And it was the coaching and it was the the training I was getting and how much I was putting into it. Then I meet this girl, <laughs> as every story goes, and she was very distracting to me. And I was really fixated on this girl. And spending a lot of time, and she lived like an hour away from me. And more or less, it wasn't who she was, and it wasn't anything other than that. It was just more or less, I was getting some attention finally, because I was always big. Like I said, I was 257 pounds when I graduated. And so I was never, I was never a ladies' man. Not that I was a ladies' man then, because now I'm still like 235, 240 on a, you know, any given day. <clears throat> but things, so I didn't fight as much. And I did have a hard time there for a while finding fights. I had one guy, Jonathan Miller, that backed out on me like five times. Like, it's it's ridiculous. Don't, don't say yes if you're going to back out. And that's why now, like, I won't fight anybody that's done backed out on me more than twice. You know, bitch is a bitch. So then... I just stopped fighting as regular, uh, you know, really letting this girl distract me, letting my little head do the thinking instead of my big one. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on and why I'm not getting what I want, not realizing it's my own self with the gun pointing it at my foot. Finally, I get rid of that girl. And right, and Larry had just had basically a sit down with me because I had turned down a training session with some people that had come by the gym that had come in town. 
And I was like, no, I got to do this. And I lied to him. I said, oh, I got to go help my grandpa. And Larry's not stupid at all. And so he calls me out. He says, listen, he says, you want to turn pro and you want to do these things and you're not acting like a pro. He says, you, you lying to your coach. You're hanging out with that girl. She's taking you away from something that you're trying to pursue. And I have people here that would do nothing but benefit you. So when you're, he says, until you're ready to show me that you are willing to put in the effort and the work and everything that it takes to do what you're doing, I'm not, I'm not turning you pro. You can fight 15 more times as an amateur for all I care. And uh, it kind of woke me up like a lot. And that series, that sequence of events is I, I get rid of that girl. I get her done with, I'm, you know, whatever, we're done. I stopped talking to her and then in the gym. And then within three, four weeks of getting rid of her, within the month, I had a pro fight. Now, Larry's the one that got me the pro fight. So I'm on my way home because I was living in the gym. I had been living in the gym for about a year and a half now. I think I am 22. I might be 21. I think I'm 22. And so I I go, I'm driving to the gym from, you know, driving home slash gym from work. And Larry calls me and he says, hey, um, I got you a pro fight. And I'm like, what? That's awesome. And he's like, yeah. I was like, well, against who, where, what weight? And he's like, yeah, it's a great opportunity. You know, it's a great opportunity. You need to, you know, we're, we're, we are, I'm excited. We're going to do this. We're going to train our asses off. Um, you know, we're going to train in the morning before work. We're going to train at night. And I was like, all right, cool. Awesome. Like, who is it? And what weight was well, going to be at heavyweight. Now I know we've been trying to lose weight because now at this point, I know I'm jumping around, you know, I'm trying not to go super, super into detail because I don't want to have an hour-long podcast for just this little bit of my story. But at this point, I had lost a lot of weight. I had had my last amateur fight in September, and this this talk is going on in February. So I'd had my last amateur fight in September. And that's the one. that's the one where I had my first light heavyweight fight because I had lost a bunch of weight and I had weighed in at 198 pounds and I fought this guy, Leonard Williams, who at the time was a fucking murderer. And he probably still is. He just isn't active anymore. But he was a murderer. And I had a nice hard fought battle with him. I took one on the chin. He concussed the fuck out of me, but I still won the fight. And I had to take like three months of like no to low impact training and um um yeah so i had lost weight we decided i was gonna try to go to 185 well anyways fast forward we're in february i'm at like 195 pounds naturally just dieting losing weight all that um pretty sure i hit a growth spurt too like my last growth spurt because i really really leaned out out of nowhere and so I, uh, I say, okay, well, that's not a big deal. You know, I'm, I'll be faster than them. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, so who is it? And where is it? It's going to be Island fights. And it's going to be, it's going to be the main event at Island fights. And I was like, what? I was like, who is it? 
Well, it's Shantae Williams. And for those of you who don't know, Shantae Williams is a former NFL player. Atlanta Falcon, Green Bay Packer, <laughs> six foot eight, six foot eight. He's about, he was a hundred and like fucking 155, 160 pounds, something, 258 pounds or 48 pounds, something like that. And I was like, and dude looks like a fucking God, by the way, looks like a Greek God chiseled out of marble. And I'm like, oh and larry's like don't you fucking owe me this is this is the time this is our opportunity you wanted it this is it you're going to beat this motherfucker's ass i'm telling you i know fighting i know how this goes you're going to fucking do it you're you know you're, you've got this so i'm like it takes convincing but we do it call my coach todd it takes doesn't even take convincing he's more like what the fuck why would you do that what the fuck now we got to train our asses off. And Todd and Larry poured their hearts and their souls into me for six fucking weeks of every day, every morning, every night, five fucking days a week. And on my rest day, I was doing mitts with Larry. Every, I mean, that training there was UFC caliber training. And I know I've been to UFC gyms. I had UFC caliber training for that fight. I go and I beat him, right? Everybody else turned their backs on us except for one guy, Robert Turnquest. He didn't turn his back on me. He came to Larry's and trained with me. Everybody else turned their fucking backs on us. Everybody. They told Larry he was fucking crazy, that he was going to get me killed. They told, they told uh, me that I was going to get killed. I mean, training partners, people I had sparred with to help them get ready for their fights every Sunday and come there every Tuesday, every Thursday to do grappling at another gym. These people that had left when Larry had the fallen out with Mike Roberts, I had went over there with them. Mike Roberts by this time was not in town. Otherwise, I know he'd have been there with me too because Mike's that type of guy. Mike was always one of my biggest fans, Mike Roberts. And we don't talk like we should, and we are not as close as we used to be. But me and Mike Roberts always got along great, and I just want to throw that out there for anybody listening. That dude is an amazing dude, and I believe he's a freaking doctor now and still kicking ass. But Mike Roberts never turned his back on me. He was out of town, or he was somewhere else because he wasn't in the picture. Because had he had been, he would have been there for me because that's how serious he took it. He used to take me to... Just a little sidetrack. Whenever they did break off a few years before that, I would train with Larry like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but Tuesdays and Thursdays we would go over to the doghouse in Alberta, which was Todd's place. It was a fucking badass little, you know, like shed, but it, shed's like a not the real correct term because it makes you think of like a shack, but it was like a, you know, it was like an outside, you know, freestanding place, but it had walls, roof, all that, mats and all that. <clears throat> so shed for better lack of the word, for a lack of a better term. And dude, Mike Roberts would pick me up. I'd meet him at a place. He'd pick me up. He'd drive me there and he'd take me back to my car. And he never had to do that ever. Not one time. And so I know him and TurnQuest were the only ones that didn't because he did message me a few times about it. But everybody else did. And 
me, Todd, and Larry went and we beat Shantae Williams, and we beat him in the first round. We, Todd drilled with me a, a combo for six weeks. A jab, see what they do, then an outside leg kick, a left body kick, and a right high kick. We drilled that on the fucking tie pads every night for six weeks, amongst other combinations, but that was the one we drilled. And a minute, 30 seconds, maybe it was two minutes into the fucking fight, into the first round, I had already slipped a spinning back fist the guy threw, slammed him on his back. And then he got on top of me. He rolled me because I got excited and tried to do, jump for a submission. And he rolled on top of me. And he stood up because he thought I did jujitsu. So when we stood up, it took a few seconds. And then what did I do? What I trained for the last six weeks. Jab. He stayed there. Outside leg kick. Left body kick. He tried to throw a jab at me over the top of that left body kick. When he threw his jab, he dropped his hand and I kicked him in his fucking neck. Because I had been trained to do that. I, he goes down. And my, my perspective, it happens so quick that you, I mean, it's like you can't even have time to think this way. But when he went down, I was like, where the fuck did he go? I didn't, I mean, because I didn't throw the kick hard. It just, it was perfect placement from perfect coaching. That was all my coaches. I could not have done that without Todd Leiterman. I could not have done that without Larry Downs Jr. 100%. And all my training partners that were there for me. And he goes down. I hop on top of him. Everybody's yelling, be calm. I'm elbowing him in the face. And he rolls right into a choke. Boom, I cinch it in, he taps, place is going, dude, people were standing on top of tables, fucking roof blew off that place, it was awesome, man, it was one of the best, greatest feelings ever, and I'm happy, and I'm excited, and I'm fucking awesome, but I'm not a party guy, so I don't go to the after party, which I fucking totally should have, but I didn't go to the after party, so... I'm driving home, and I'm going down the bridge on W Street from Garden to W, uh, or Garden to Old Corey Field or New Warrington or whatever that road is there. And I'm going over, and my buddy's next to me, and he looks over at me, and he revs his engine. And then as we're going, we're still we're going at a high rate of speed, but we're not racing. But then he, I rev mine as a joke, and he's looking at me, you know, just kind of like, whatever, you know, we're going like the speed limit. And he looks over at me and because he's looking at me, his car starts veering closer to mine. And I like swerve out and then he freaks the fuck out and he jerks his fucking wheel all, I mean, dude, hard to the left, which made him fucking start fishtailing. And then he pit maneuvers me. So I start fucking tail spinning in a, in a whirl, you know, like a little fucking tornado. And I come to a stop and the motherfucker T-bones me. And when he hits, he presses on the accelerator out of panic and keeps fucking driving into me. I had just met this girl in a brand new fucking car, dude. And wrecked her shit. 
and uh, fucking on the way home from the biggest fight of my my life. Oh man, it was fuck, and that was my best friend, like one of my childhood best friends, dude. What the fuck? And now, ever since then, because his parents, because of him, we haven't talked. Like just a few text messages since then, and I ain't holding no grudge. But all right, guys, that's already thirty over thirty minutes, and there's still so much more to the story. I haven't even gotten to the major parts of why my career derailed after this. So. Stay tuned. I will release another story time. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you so much. You've been in the neutral corner with RJ Summerlin. Godspeed.